You have been listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church. We invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For more information, visit day3church.com. Good morning. For some reason, I feel like I should have a cowboy hat on. Yeah. We're doing a series entitled, uh, So You Think It's Hot. Now, for some of you, that may not be very funny after this past week. Uh, Wednesday, getting up close to 100 degrees. But as I have reminded you as we started this series last week, it could be a lot worse because 100 degrees is not that terrible when you compare it to what the temperature, the estimated temperature is at the core of the earth, which is around 7,000 degrees Fahrenheit. So it could be a lot hotter. And the Bible actually alludes to the place that we call hell that's represented there in the Bible that we're told about in the Bible as being underneath the earth somewhere. So when you think about 7,000 degrees Fahrenheit, if you didn't like close to 100 degrees, I promise you, you wouldn't like 7,000 degrees, especially when it's something that you can't escape, when it's something that incurs constant torment. That's what Jesus said about a place called hell. We might not like to talk about it, and it may make us uncomfortable to talk about such a place of punishment as that, but that is exactly what Jesus said. He said that it is a place of eternal punishment. It's more than just a hot place. It's a place of torment. And that's why we need to talk about it, because Jesus himself talked about this place called hell. In other words, it ought to get our attention. The fact of a place called hell being real should serve as a wake-up call for us. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, it ought to be an extreme wake-up call for you that there is a place where people go and spend all eternity if they die lost in their sins without faith in Christ. That ought to be a very big wake-up call for you. If you profess to know Jesus as your Savior, the reality of a place called hell should also be a wake-up call for you in this degree. You need to know absolutely for sure you really know Him, not that you just say you do. It needs to go deeper than you just professing and saying that you know Him. You need to know for sure that you know Him. And it ought to be a wake-up call for us that authentically know Him because if we have family members and friends who do not know Him, the reality of a place called hell ought to be a very big wake-up call for us to do something about telling our family members and our friends about Jesus. That's why we're doing this series, for a wake-up call. If you don't know Him as Savior, it's a wake-up call for you. If you do know Him as Savior, it's still a wake-up call for you. You need to get busy telling your lost family members and friends about Jesus and what He did for them on the cross so they don't have to go to this place called hell. See, our goal in this series, guys, we're not just trying to be cute because July is hot. The goal of this series is for us to get a wake-up call. Jesus talks about being afraid, and he talks about being afraid in the same passage of Scripture where he mentions a place called hell. 
Look at these verses because this is where we're going to hang out today uh, in, our, in our message in, in Matthew. Uh, the title of the message is, What Are You Afraid Of? Hell, What Are You Afraid Of? But look at these verses in Matthew. A student is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the student to be like his teacher and the servant to be like his master. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household. So do not be afraid of them. There's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both body or both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. In Luke's gospel, he put it like this in one of the verses that we just read. Here's the way Luke puts it. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after the killing of the body, has the power to throw you into hell. As we consider the words of Jesus in the light of a real place called hell, in these verses, Jesus raises several issues that we need to be fully aware of. Here's issue number one. Issue number one is this. The followers of Jesus need to expect difficulties. In other words, if you are going to follow Jesus Christ, if you're going to be His disciple, if you're going to believe in Him and model Him in your life and serve Him in your life, you need to expect some difficulties to come your way. That flies in the face of some doctrine that some people proclaim because some people try and proclaim a message of if you're right with Jesus, everything will be perfect in your life. If you're right with Jesus, everything goes smooth. If you're right with Jesus, everything is a rose garden. Everything is a cakewalk. Talk to some people like the Apostle Paul who was stoned and left for dead because he was following Jesus. The Bible does not teach that we should expect because we get right with God through Jesus Christ that no difficulties will come our life because we will face difficulties in our life as the followers of Jesus. He addressed that in the first two verses that we read. Look at them again before we uh, kind of break it down some. He says, A student is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the student to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If the head of the house is being called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household? Why will we face difficulties? I mean, we trust in Jesus. We are forgiven of our sins. Because of that, we know we're going to go to a place called heaven. Why then should we face difficulties? Well, to give you a little bit of a background to the verses that we've just read, if you look ahead of those verses in your Bible, you'll discover this. Jesus was sending some of his disciples out. He is sending them out to proclaim his message, to go and tell other people about him. As Jesus sends them, 
He tells them up front, I'm sending you like sheep among wolves. Now, that does not sound like a fun scenario. Because wolves like to eat sheep. And he's telling them up front, that's the way I'm sending you out. He said, you need to understand as I send you out, people may not receive the message that I'm telling you to proclaim. And you may just have to dust off your feet and go on to the next place. And you need to understand there's going to be persecution. Follow you. The people will not all accept the message that you're proclaiming. Jesus even tells them in the verses leading up to this passage of Scripture that we're dealing with this morning that if the world hated him, we can expect the world to hate us. So he lets us know up front, as his followers, there will be some difficulties that we will face as we follow him. Now, going back to the two verses we just read that's in our text this morning, why, why from those verses do we need to expect difficulty? First of all, because of our ranking, because of our ranking. We're not more important than Jesus, You know, we don't rank somewhere up above Jesus. In other words, if Jesus went through stuff that was very negative, if Jesus went through suffering, if Jesus went through persecution, who are we to think that we ought to go scot-free as his followers? Who are we to think that we shouldn't face any difficulties and trials and problems in our life? Because, guys, the Bible tells us, Jesus warns us up front that we will. Our problem is we let that go in one ear and out the other in the way we practically live a lot of times. So when the problems come, we really get downcast and knocked off track in our Christian life because somehow we've deluded ourselves into believing we're not going to have any problems. We're not going to face difficulties. Jesus told you up front you will. And if you'll be prepared for it up front, understanding the difficulties will come, then instead of being so cast down or so beaten down or so discouraged when it happens or being so surprised when it happens, you'll be more prepared for it. Look at what he said there. He said, a student is not above his teacher. Now, some students think they're above their teacher. I've seen that in school. I probably acted like that some when I was in high school. You get a little bit older, you figured out you weren't as smart as you thought you were. But a a student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. He's given us that picture of someone teaching, and the one that's teaching is ranked higher, and the one that is learning is following the teacher. He's given us a picture of someone who's a master and someone who is a servant. The word servant literally means bond slave. And that was the kind of slave that had the opportunity to go free, but that slave decided he loved his master so much, he wanted to belong to his master for all of his life. That's what a bondservant is like. And that needs to be the attitude we have as believers, that we're the bondservants of Jesus. We've decided, lock, stock, and barrel, we're going to follow him all of our lives. He's always going to be our master. We're always going to be his servants. And we are not more important than him. As we strive to follow his teachings, guess what's going to happen? You're going to meet resistance. As you strive to serve Jesus, guess what's going to happen? You're going to meet resistance. You want to know why? There's a place called hell. And hell is not happy about you and I applying the principles of Jesus in our lives in following Jesus and serving Jesus because as we do so, he can use our lives to rob people from hell that's on a pathway to hell as we can lead them to Christ. That's why we need to expect difficulty. 
And just maybe if you're thinking, well, you know, I'm not having a lot of difficulty in my life. Everything's kind of smooth. I'm kind of enjoying this thing called Christianity. Maybe you're not being radical enough. If everything's going really smooth, maybe you're not standing for him enough. Maybe you haven't drawn the line in the sand. Maybe it's kind of, you know, a crooked line that's there, and you're not sure exactly where you're standing. Because I promise you, and I promise myself, all of us, if we would take the stands that we should for Christ in this world, you're going to face some resistance. And we need to expect it up front that we'll have difficulties simply because of our ranking. We're not more important than Jesus. If he faced it, we need to understand that we'll face it also. Secondly, as the followers of Jesus, we need to expect difficulties in life also because of our resemblance. Because of our resemblance. He said there, it is enough for the student to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. Now, the phrase that Jesus used, it is enough, means it's satisfactory. Guys, there's no reason for us to have a goal in our lives that we want to be better than Jesus because it ain't happening, okay? That's not going to take place. That's an impossibility. You and I cannot be better than Jesus. That's completely impossible. What our goal ought to be is that we resemble Jesus. Our goal ought to be that we are like our teacher, that we are like our servant. That's the goal that we need to have. And here's the deal with that. As you and I are being like our teacher, Jesus, and as we are being like our master, and we're trying to follow him as his servants, we're going to run into some difficulties in life because the enemy does not want us to resemble Jesus. The enemy does not want your life and my life to bear forth a resemblance of Christ. And yet, as we try to do so, there will be difficulties that will face our life. If you try and live like Jesus and try and resemble Jesus, the world will hate you. Jesus said it hated him, and it will hate us also. Third reason why we need to expect difficulties is this. Not just our ranking, not just our resemblance. Hopefully we ought to be looking something like Jesus. And as we do so, we'll face resistance. But also, for this reason, because of our relationship. As a followers of Christ, we need to expect difficulties because of our relationship. Matter of fact, there were several relationships mentioned there in this passage of Scripture. A teacher-student, that's a relationship. A master-servant, that's a relationship. But it's also mentioned like this. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household? You see the relationship there? A father and the family. Because through Christ, the head of the household, our father, is being called these things. Jesus was called these things. I know some people start taking off of the doctrine and say, yeah, but Jesus was the Son, and, and, and here you're talking about the Father. Listen, get, get your theology completely right. There's one God revealed in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And we need to understand something. When we start resembling our Father, when we're having this relationship, and we're living out in our lives that God is our Father, and we are part of His family, you might as well expect difficulties. I mean, we see it right in that passage of Scripture. If they call Jesus Beelzebub, 
Here's what the word means. It meant done God. That's a God that hangs around on a pile of poop, for lack of a better term. Flies do that. The Hebrew word meant Baal of the fly or Lord of the flies. It was a name that was used interchangeably with referring to the devil or Satan. So the religious crowd of that day, they were accusing Jesus of being Beelzebub. They were accusing him of doing the miracles that he performed underneath the power of Satan. And if they're going to call Jesus Beelzebub, if they're going to call him Lord of the flies, we need to understand something. If we're in a relationship with God through Christ, God is our Father, we are part of his family, and if they call the head of the household names like that, what should we expect them to call us? How should we expect them to respond to us? I'm just warning you up front, there will be some difficulties that come along as we strive to follow Jesus. Why? Because there's a long-standing family feud. You heard about the Hatfields and the McCoys? I'm not talking about the game show family feud, okay? I'm talking about people that hate each other, people that want to kill each other, people that have a long-standing battle. There's two families. There's the family of God in the family of hell. And there's a long-standing feud. And if people are going to be accusing our father of being Beelzebub, we need to understand something up front. We're going to have difficulties because of our relationship to him as we follow him. And if you'll plan for that, if you'll be prepared for it, it won't hurt near as much as it does when you delude yourselves into believing, man, I know Jesus now. Everything's going to be fun. No difficulties in my life because I know Jesus. Here's the deal with that, though. Even though difficulties will come, we're really talking about fear today and what we're afraid of in regards to a place called hell. Even though those difficulties will come, the second issue that we need to grab out of this passage of Scripture where we are looking at Jesus talking in Matthew 10 is this today. Even though difficulties come as Christians, as followers of Christ, we need to face such difficulties without fear. We don't need to be so shook up and afraid. The world hates us. The world's going to do something to us. People don't like us because we're following Jesus. We need to face difficulties when they come our way without fear. Matter of fact, we ought to be thankful that we can suffer persecution for Jesus' sake. If he went to a cross and died for me and died for you, I ought to be thankful that in some form I can suffer for him. That I can stand for him, even though the world is saying no. Look at verse 26 and 27. So do not be afraid of them. He just said, people are going to hate you. I'm sending you out to proclaim my message. It's going to be you like, like sheep going out before wolves. You need to understand something. Don't be afraid of them. Why is he telling us not to be afraid? What attitude is he giving us here? What other truth does he bring to bear in this passage of Scripture that should help us deal with fears when we face persecution, when people are giving us difficulties in our lives because we're the followers of Jesus? Why is it that we don't need to be afraid of them? Here's why. There's coming a time and in the future that he'll set everything right. 
If someone mistreats you because you're following Jesus, he will deal with it. And you don't need to worry about it and start withdrawing and thinking, oh, I've been standing for Jesus now. The world hates me. People around me are giving me difficulties. They're persecuting me. I guess I need to shut up and quit telling people. No, Jesus tells us to do the very opposite. He says there's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed. In other words, there's coming a time when everything will be made known. And if someone persecutes you because you're out serving him, guess what? It will be judged out in the future. There's not anything hidden that will not be made known, he says. So then he tells us this. Underneath that mentality, underneath that mindset, us realizing God will take care of it out in the future when people persecute us, when they reject the word that we're trying to share with them, understanding that he will deal with that in the future, our attitude should be this. We need to go ahead and tell people his message anyway. He says, what I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. He's saying, just because someone gives you some difficulty and they persecute you because you're following Jesus, he's saying, don't quit following me. Don't quit telling about me. I will deal with them out in the future. What you need to do right now is proclaim aloud in the daylight the stuff that I tell you, the stuff that I whisper in your ear. He's saying, you need to climb up on the roof and shout it loud for the world to hear. Instead of us withdrawing because we think we're being persecuted, by the world, instead of being afraid of those that persecute us, instead of having a phobia of fear of people persecuting us, what we need to do is stand in awe of God and reverence Him. Which brings us to our third issue. While we don't need to be afraid of people that might persecute us, of people that put us through difficulties, the third issue that Jesus brings up is this. There is someone to be afraid of. Don't need to be afraid of the wrong crowd. I don't need to fear the world. I don't need to shrink back from following Jesus because I might experience some persecution or people telling me to shut up, people telling me to quit telling them about Jesus. Me facing difficulties in my life does not mean that I'm to climb under, a sh- uh, under some type of shell or go on a hole in the ground and act like I'm not going to follow Jesus anymore. I'm to keep following him. I'm to stand boldly. You're to stand boldly and proclaim his message anyway. We're not to be afraid of them, but there is someone to be afraid of. Look at these verses. Verse 28. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body. See, that's all someone might can do to you. If you're out here serving Jesus, whether it be on foreign soil or right here in America, and you're taking very strong stands for Jesus, all that someone can do is kill you. Now, you know, depending upon your mindset, you might think that sounds pretty bad. Well, listen, I'm not wanting to leave this world any sooner than I'm supposed to leave this world, but when I do leave this world, I have a better place to go. So someone killing me does not necessarily you know, cause all types of fright and fear. If it's my time to go, and if I go because I'm serving Jesus, thank God for that. I have a better place to be than here. See, that needs to be our mindset, our mentality. Don't be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Don't be afraid of those that might persecute you, that may give you difficulty as you stand for Jesus. He says, rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. 
I don't need to be afraid of people that might persecute me. You do not need to be afraid of people who might persecute you for standing for Jesus. But there is someone that we need to fear. We need to fear the one, Jesus said here, we need to fear the one who can both kill the body and then condemn the soul to hell. Who is that? Now, as I answer that question, who is that, I'm going to start out by telling you who it isn't. It is not Satan. I've had people before to read that passage of Scripture and think it's talking about the devil. Can, can I tell you guys something? We give the devil way too much credit. We, we've accepted the Hollywood picture of Satan to where he is like some all-powerful deity that's kind of just in, in competition with God. He is not an all-powerful deity. And while I'm not necessarily the mindset that I want to talk a whole lot about demons and the devil and things like that, I do believe that every believer needs to have a good estimation and an understanding of who Satan really is. Satan is not the one here that can kill you and throw your soul into hell. If you'll read in the Old Testament, you'll get a picture in Job of Satan only being able to do what God kind of gives him permission to do. To give you a little bit more background to who Satan is, Satan used to be this beautiful angel in heaven. And then he allows something that messes our lives up, something called pride, to get running his life for him. And he starts looking around at himself, kind of thinking how great he is and how beautiful he is. And he kind of decides this. I think I'm going to go in a sin and take the throne of God and kick God off the throne. And I'm going to be God. So that's what he tries to do. And he leads this kind of a, a meager rebellion against an almighty God. Because here's the deal. Satan is a created being that God allowed to be created. He's not some all-powerful, almighty being. He was like the other angels in heaven. God made them. God placed them there. And he was kicked out of heaven along with one-third of the angels because of his pride, because of his rebellion, thinking he'd kick God off of the throne. In the Old Testament, there's a couple of passages of Scripture that uh, deal with that. Uh, go ahead and go by Luke. I've, I read that earlier. I know I had Luke, your next verse there. He said, I'll show you uh, whom you should fear. Fear him who after killing the body has the power to throw you in hell. There's a couple of passages in the Old Testament. We won't take time to read them right now, but I just want you to know uh, to be aware of them. And when you turn there, there, there are a lot of passages in, the, in prophecy uh, that the prophets write about that had an immediate application and then has a future application. That's what's taking place here. He's writing about literally earthly kings in that day, God giving them a warning, but it also has an ultimate fulfillment in telling us about Satan and Satan's fall. And it's as though those kings are being used as a picture of Satan, and it talks about how Satan fell like lightning because of his pride. The Bible tells us that he's a defeated creature. His defeat took place at a place called Calvary. 
The Bible gives Satan some interesting names. It tells us he was cast out of heaven and then he's called the devil. He's referred to as the dragon, the tempter, the slanderer, the father of lies, the wicked one, Beelzebub that we looked at a moment ago, ruler of this world, God of this age, prince of the power of the air, accuser of the brethren. That's not a full exhausted list, but that's some names that the Bible uses referring to Satan. Here's what his future is. His future is that he is already a defeated foe, and he one day is going to be cast into the lake of fire. That's the hell of all eternity, Gehenna. He's going to be cast into the lake of fire forever and ever. He's already defeated. It happened at the cross. Guys, looking at the life of Jesus, look through the Old Testament, look through the Bible. Satan is constantly trying to attack the seed. He's trying to attack the lineage of Jesus. Here's why. Satan didn't want Jesus to get to the cross. Satan didn't want him to get there and die for our sins and then take his life back up because that is what defeated him totally. Satan did not put Jesus on the cross. God the Father put his Son on the cross. And when Jesus died for our sins and said, it is finished, and took his life back up on the third day, at that moment in time, Satan is a defeated foe. And the only thing that's going to happen to make him more defeated comes one day after he's been chained and put in hell for a thousand years. He's released, and there's this kind of final rebellion. And then Jesus takes him and puts him into hell, the hell for eternity, Gehenna, forever and ever and ever. That's who Satan is. So don't give him deity status. There's some denominations that teach that Jesus and Satan are brothers. There's a major problem with that. In order for that to happen, you have deified Satan or you have taken away the deity of Christ, one of the two. Satan is a created being who fell, he's defeated, he will be cast into the lake of hell for all eternity. And the purpose of this series is this, you don't want to go there with him. Because the illustration that I gave last week, if you were here for Gehenna, Jesus used of the Valley of Hinnom, which was the garbage dump outside the city of Jerusalem. And there's a constant smoke going up, a fire going up. There's dogs gnashing their teeth. The worm was not dying there because there were plenty of rotten corpses to eat upon. That's the picture that Jesus gives of an eternal hell. A place of torment. And Satan is a totally, completely defeated foe. So we don't need to be afraid of him. So if we don't need to be afraid of Satan as being the one that can kill us, plus put our souls in hell, who do we need to be afraid of? God. God is all-powerful. God has the ability both to kill the body and then to cast our souls into hell for all eternity. That's why we need to fear Him. And guys, understand the concept of fear encompasses more than just you being afraid. God's up in heaven with a lightning bolt waiting for you to step over the line enough that He zaps you. 
The concept of fear in God is a larger concept than you just thinking. If you step out of line, God is waiting in heaven with a big paddle or a big stick, and he's going to beat you with it when you make a mistake. The concept of being afraid of God also involves this. We're to stand in total awe of who he is. We're just to stand in awe of His greatness and awe of His majesty and understand that He's the one that is all-powerful and we're not. So there is someone that we need to be afraid of and the one that we need to be afraid of is the Lord because He is the one that has the power to both kill and both place you in hell for all eternity. So if you don't know Christ as your Savior this morning, here's your big wake-up call. If you want to avoid a place of eternal torment, the only way to avoid it is through Jesus. And you need to trust in Him and what He did on the cross for you. Now, I know right now it kind of sounds like, man, God's mean. You mean God would kill me and then God would put me in hell or God puts people in hell? No, really people put themselves in hell by saying no to Jesus. But before you get this concept in your mind and think God must be a very mean God if he has this place called hell where people go for all eternity, I want to close out by you understanding something. The fourth issue that Jesus brings up in this passage of Scripture that we need to be fully aware of is this. God loves you more than you may know. Yes, he's all-powerful. Yes, he can kill someone. Yes, he has the ability to cast someone's soul into hell for all eternity. But you need to realize something. God cares for you more than you may possibly know. Check out these verses. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? In the marketplace in that day, some translations say a farthing or, you know, some other terminology. But here in the NIV, they did kind of contemporize it, helping us understand the value as a small coin. And if you're out in the marketplace, the cheapest thing you could buy in the marketplace as far as some type of food would go would be to buy a sparrow. You could buy a sparrow for a penny. Or not two sparrows sold for a penny. And buy a couple of them for a penny. Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. What we're talking about today is this. There's a real place called hell. And God is the one that's all-powerful Satan is not running hell. God runs hell. (laughs) Satan will wind up there as being one of the prisoners for all eternity. God is the one that's all-powerful. He's the one that can allow our lives to be taken. He's the one that can kill us if he so desires. He can cast our soul into hell for all eternity. That's why he sent Jesus to die on the cross, so we don't have to go there. You need to understand that God loves you more than you may be able to have a concept in your mind for God to love you this much. It might sound like God's a mean God, but God loves you so much, and if you'll just look at these verses, you can get a pretty good idea of how intimately God wants to be involved in your life you think God is not intimately involved in creation this is him speaking 
And he says, there's not one bird that falls from the sky that I don't know about. Without it being my will, there's not one little sparrow that falls without me knowing it. That's how intimately involved in creation God is. And if God's keeping up with the sparrows, I can promise you something. He's keeping up with you because you're worth more than a sparrow. You know how intimately connected God is with you? He tells us here that there's not even one hair of your head that falls. All the hairs of your head are numbered. He's keeping count of it. Now, some of us, like myself, are keeping him busy. And some of you that are laughing, if you'll check out the showered rain after you get out, or if you'll look at the hairbrush that you've been using, you'll understand something. You're keeping God busy. Most of you know about this. If not, I, I guess I'll throw it out now. I officially became a granddad yesterday, so now I'm officially old. And I get the blessing to walk in a nursery and see a baby that's just been born with more hair than I have. <laughs> Think about that concept. If God cares enough about you as an individual to keep up with every hair on your head, Can you imagine how much you mean to him? I mean, honest guys, if I'm God, I think I, I don't really care. You know? I got busier things, to, you know, things, other stuff I need to do. I don't care how much hair you have on your head. Hey, that's how great God is. He's not just having to keep up with the hairs on my head as they leave. He's keeping up with all of yours and all the rest of the world and all the rest of the creation and listening to all of our prayers and taking care of everything that needs to be taken care of all at the same time. We have a great God. And that great God, when you think about Him being so great, a lot of times we get the concept, oh, God's so great, He doesn't have time for me. Yes, He does. He has enough time for you that He's counting the hair on your head. And if you want to understand how much you are valued, a sparrow was not worth very much. You buy a couple of them for a penny, but you are very valuable because Jesus paid for you with the shed blood of his son. That's how much he cares for you. So yes, there is a real place called hell. And yes, there is an almighty God that can allow us to die or take our lives and then our souls be cast into hell for all eternity if we have never, ever said yes to Jesus. We ought to be afraid. We ought to have that element of fear in our lives. But you need to understand how much He cares for you. He cared enough to put His Son on the cross so you never, ever have to go to a place called hell. You see what Jesus said in verse 31? So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Why do you not need to be afraid? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of what other people might do to you. Don't be afraid of a place called hell. 
Here's how you can miss being afraid of persecution that other people may throw at your life when you follow Jesus. Here's how you can get beyond being fearful of a place called hell. You have a relationship with Jesus Christ who died on the cross for you. You trust in him and nothing else and no one else. And God will take you out of the possibility of ever, ever, ever going to a place called hell. Oh, you might be persecuted still and probably will be if you follow him. But guess what? He's got all eternity to make that up for you. In his presence. Instead of being in a place called hell. You don't have to be afraid of that because you're worth more than the sparrows. He put his son on the cross for you. So this morning, let me ask this question. Hell, what are you afraid of? That's what we've been talking about. When it comes to this concept, this reality of a place called hell, what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of today as a believer? Are you afraid that if you start standing for Jesus and telling other people about Jesus, that people will treat you mean? They will. They did to Jesus. Can I just let you in on human nature? People are going to treat you mean whether or not they're treating you mean because you're standing for Jesus. So you might as well give them a reason to treat you mean and stand for Jesus. We live in a mean world and people are going to mistreat you either way. You might as well give them a good reason to mistreat you and be sure you're standing for the right thing and for the right one. Don't be afraid of what they may do to you when you stand for Jesus because he'll take care of it right out in the future. He will deal with it out in the future. But there is someone we ought to be afraid of, and that is God himself. He's an all-powerful God who loves you more than you may begin to understand. So much so that he put his son on the cross for you. So the band's going to come. Yeah, you're shocked, aren't you? Look at your watch. You're shocked. Act shocked for me. So the band's going to come, and they're going to do an invitation. And as they do so, as they sing a song, and during this song, what we ask for you to do is evaluate where you are and let God speak to your heart. Will you ask yourself these things, number one, Will you ask yourself, do I know for sure that I know Jesus? Not, oh, I'm a member of the church. That won't get you into heaven. Not, well, I walked an aisle one day and I shook a preacher by the hand. That won't get you into heaven. Will you honestly evaluate right now in your life and know for sure, without any doubt whatsoever, that you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior? And if you're not absolutely sure that if you were to die right now, you'd go to heaven, I don't care how long you've been going to church, you've got a problem that you need to deal with. If you don't know without any doubt right now that you have a relationship with Christ. Second thing I want to ask you to do is this. If you know for sure that you don't know Him, you're not even wrestling with it. You know right now up front that you've never trusted in Jesus. I want to remind you something. There's a real place called hell. But you don't have to go there. Because Jesus took your hell for you as he suffered on the cross. 
and shed His blood. What you need to do is trust in Him this morning. Can I ask you a third thing? If you know for sure that you know Him, no question marks at all. Can I ask you if all your family know Christ? Can I ask you if all your friends know Christ? Do all your co-workers know Christ? Because there's a real place called hell. And if you're not afraid of that place because you know Jesus, can I ask you to be afraid of that place for them? Be afraid enough to wake up and do something about it and reach those lost people that you have a relationship with in your life for Jesus Christ. Start there. And then go from there and build relationships intentionally so you can get other people to Jesus. One last verse, and then the band's going to sing. You may be wondering, or two verses, you may be wondering what you need to do right now in light of all that we've talked about. Jesus said this, right on the heels of what we just looked at this morning. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. Man, that's great, isn't it? But, Whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. So, have you acknowledged him? Will you acknowledge him today? Father, Lord, we thank you that you loved us so much that you sent your Son. God, you tell us that we're much more valuable to you than sparrows, than birds. You've proved it by Jesus shedding his blood on the cross. God, you love us so much. You are so intimately involved and so concerned about us that you keep up with the very hairs of our head. And God, while that's a comforting thought, that also should remind us that if you're counting the hairs of our head, you're also fully aware of our sin and fully aware of the need that we have to say yes to Jesus. So Father, right now, I pray if there's someone here that doesn't know for sure that I don't care if they're a member of a church or if they had thought up until this day that they, that they knew but God, if they have some doubt, if they don't know, give them the faith that they need right now to settle it once and for all. Lord, there's someone here that knows up front that they need Christ. And Lord, they're in danger of this real place called hell. Help them right now to admit to you that they've sinned. And to pray and receive Christ as their Savior. God, those of us that know you already, wake us up to the reality of a place that some of our friends and family members may go if we don't reach them for Jesus. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. If you need Christ as your Savior, I will not leave here today without finding out how that can happen. 
If you know him, I wouldn't leave here today without getting a burden for someone that you need to lead to Jesus. I've got a brand new burden in my life. A little baby that I want to be sure knows Christ as early as he can know Christ. He's not the only one I have a burden for, but just a new burden. Dropped in my heart yesterday. So who are you burdened about? Maybe enough to come and pray for them and say, God, help me get them to Jesus before it's too late. Stand together as the band plays. You are listening to sermon audio from Dathan Church. If you have any questions about God, faith, or our church, email us at info at And for more information, find us on the web at dayfreechurch.com.